0: Hello, my name is Eileen Battersby, literary correspondent of the Irish Times. On this special episode of the Irish Times Book Club podcast, I'm very pleased and privileged to be speaking with the outstanding Israeli novelist David Grossman and his translator Jessica Cohn about the Man Booker international winning novel A Horse Walks Into a Bar. His fiction uh, resonates with an emotional intelligence that's difficult to give full justice to in mere words. He really is a writer that deserves to be read. He has won this award for a wonderful novel about a deeply troubled man whose agony is rooted in a shocking event of his childhood. Grossman has always written very, very well about childhood. He writes about the human condition. Yes, he's won it on this one book, but he could indeed have won it on a body of work. Please enjoy our conversation with David Grossman. Congratulations on your wonderful win of this year's Man Booker International a uh, marvellous win, and also congratulations to your translator, Jessica Cohen. Thank you. Um, this is a great moment. Um, the book was very well received in Ireland last year in publication, featured in our Books of the Year, uh, widely praised. Um, I suppose the first question, um, it was quite a different book um, from you. Um, the, the voice of um, Dovale, the stand-up com- comedian, uh, quite robust um, this is a man in despair uh, who's willing, who's uh, prepared to offer an entertainment that his audience are not quite expecting. So would you speak about the genesis of the book, please? Uh,
1: well, I had the idea for the story. Uh, the, the heart of the book is, is a story about a boy who is uh, 14 or 15 and he's the only child of two parents who are involved in a kind of symbiotic relationship of love and hate. Uh, And for the first time in his life, he's uh, sent to a kind of semi-military youth camp in the south of Israel. And he is uh, is terrified uh, of leaving his parents together. He don't know what will come out of leaving them alone, how will they manage without him. And he goes to this uh, military camp, and after three days, he's called upon the commander of the barrack, the officer, who tells him that he has to rush to Jerusalem, to the cemetery, to the funeral. And rapidly, all his belongings are packed, and he's put on a military vehicle, and he's sent off to a long trip of four hours, and only one question is not being asked. Died. Who dies? Is it mother or father? Mm. So along the way, he starts to believe that he is the one to decide who will die. And uh, there is a kind of an argument within his soul and his brain. Whom should he keep alive? What, well, it's not only which parents he will kill, uh, but what kind of life he will have with either mama or papa. And I had, I had this idea... Uh, For more than 20 years, I heard a similar story and it haunted me to think about this child, to think that no one really bothered to put himself in the shoes of this child and to understand what he must have gone through having to do all this long journey without the knowledge. Uh, But I didn't know how to tell the story. I did not have the how. I had only the what. Uh, and each time in the last 20 years or 25 years, when I finished a book, I said, "Okay, now I'm going and, and writing this story of Dovale." I will call him then Dovale.
0: It's interesting, though, that it, 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 in ways, I mean, the genesis is similar to you think of the predicament of the narrator in uh, the Zigzag Kid when he sat on the train by his father. And his father is there with this long-suffering, devoted woman who wants to be the the wife, not the secretary, not the housekeeper. She wants to become the mother of the boy. But that boy has, um, and then the boy has this extraordinary experience where the policeman comes in with the prisoner. And um, it's quite a comic routine that happens, and it turns out it was staged. But in that case, the boy is jolly and funny. And um, as is your your comedian, but the comedian is deeply hurt and distressed. The, his his um, initial appearance is, is quite shocking and not really typical of of, uh, of characters in your work that very often have this um, childhood is such a powerful theme throughout your writing. Uh, but I felt with this one, I was just wondering and capturing the actual tone when he first goes into the nightclub, he's he's quite abrasive. And um, it's 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 uh, he's a quite sexist. His comments he's making. Um, he very quickly um, alienates his um, his audience. It's almost as if he's deciding who's tough enough to do the whole journey, the whole night with him. So it's almost like a process and a selection process. So in the case of of Jessica hitting the tone, did you find that hard, or, or um, h- how did that work? I mean, it's, there's a lot there's a lot of voice in this book.
2: Yes, there is. Um he is a very strong character and he, he propels the book. Um, but there's also, uh, you know, the narrator's voice is also quite strong. There's the person who's who's describing him from the audience. And there's a lot of physical descriptions of Dovalet's appearance and his body language and what, what he does with his hands and his body and his facial expressions. Mm-hmm. So I felt like those were good entry points to the kind of character mm-hmm. he is and to his voice. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if I can put into words exactly how you know a translator recreates voice in a different language it's mm-hmm. some kind of alchemy that's difficult to explain but once I spent a lot of time with the book and and worked on several drafts you know the the dovelist sort of doppelganger in English begins to emerge and I can hear him and see him and and I'm able
0: to get his words out on the page. Is it true when we say that the key to um, translation is tone?
1: Is music, yes. Uh, Mm -hmm. Literature is very much about music and musicality. And this is why uh, always my last version in any book that uh, I've been writing ever since is the version of reading out loud the whole book to myself. Sometimes I do it standing to create another distance between me and and the book, and I read it all from A to Z uh, with to the end of the land. It took more than a month to read because it's quite a thick book. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I believe that if I read it out loud, many of the faults of the story surface. Yes. And the places where the musicality is not fully tuned. I I believe that when the reader reads uh, a book he or she hears with their inner ear the melody of the story that the writer uh, composed. I, I think of uh, Flaubert who used yes. to stand at his window and to shout uh, the the stories, the books that he has written, believing that uh, through shouting the faults would surface. I'm much more merciful to my neighbors. I don't do it. <laughs> he also used to invite some of his friends, uh, brothers Goncourt and others, and to read for them for hours from his books. Again, I'm very merciful towards my my friends. I never did it. But I know that this read, the last final read out loud, is the most crucial of all reads of this book.
0: It's very interesting that as a reporter, as a witness, as a commentator, um, you made such um, your know, powerful inroads in explaining the situation, which seems to be, which is you know, such a difficult situation between the Israeli and the Palestinian. And you've been you've been fair to both sides, in the fact that you've been truthful. Um, very early in your writing career, that did go against you, and you turned to, to to fiction. But it's very interesting that for somebody who is an acknowledged commentator and observer. Um, that you've never actually been just dismissed as a polemicist like you, you were seen as an artist and as a novelist did you take a huge um, comfort from that as, as in your early, the early uh, stages of your career that your, your, your work could stand as art as opposed to polemic?
1: Well I regard myself as a novelist mm-hmm. uh, and, and I find much more meaning and pleasure also in uh, creating reality mm-hmm. rather than documenting yes. it even mm-hmm. though I think you can document a reality and by so doing you can revitalize it and, and recreate it by the things that you emphasize, by the language that you use, by the way you show the cliches of talking and of thinking and of behaving. Uh, and, and always when, when I write an article, I try to keep the the... Quality of literature, which means that I will try to show the inner contradictions of the situation or to stress new nuances that are not usually uh, looked at when 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 we write uh, journalistic articles, and the language the language is the most important thing it should be very, very precise so the ultimate nuance of the situation and I think when you write articles in this way, people Feel maybe the quality of of art in it, but they are also, in a strange way, they are liberated from the usual worn-out debates of just throwing accusation at each other, and they become sensitive to some other layers of of reality.
0: I think it's fascinating that um, the, even the juxtapositioning, unintentional, no doubt. Um, on this shortlist, a very strong shortlist that, that saw two Israelis, uh, three Europeans, and a South American. But the two Israeli writers, you and, and Amos Oz, and Amos Oz very much a uh, Judas is very much a novel of ideas, but very very much rooted in the story of Israel. Uh, whereas your book um, really gives the sense of the human condition, one man's um, the trauma that he suffered as a boy and how it, it it has bled through his entire life. So you feel that you're reading about a man that, yes, it's a, he's in Israel, but he could be in any country because it's a human um, trying to live. So I suppose that's what makes him such a such a, a, a vulnerable and and ultimately sympathetic character. Considering he starts out in a rather bolshy sort of way. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I, I think your description is accurate. He starts in a very robust way and he ends in a very vulnerable oh, yearning yeah. and exposed yeah. way.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and I like such characters that are undergoing a process that are not uh, lovable at first sight. It's actually quite easy to write a character who is lovable at first sight. It's very tempting for the writer to work with such soft and yielding material of a lovable and attractive character. And I like the idea that I start to write a character who is stubborn, who does not yield to me, who does not surrender to me. And gradually, over quite a lot of time, I'm able to start to mold him and he starts to mold me. And I have to confess against my will that I'm also consist of some of these unpleasant dimensions of Dovale, but they are mine, and now I gave them a name and i I know them i I feel them inside me
0: how's it been um w- w- what's it like being um uh, being a novelist writing in uh obviously you write in Hebrew, but um as a writer in translation, the wider audience uh, reading in english um do you feel um, dependent on 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 the language, or do are you are you um, are you nervous about the transition between Hebrew and English?
1: I'm dependent on the translator, yeah. not only on the language and yeah. on the skills of uh, of my translator. And I'm very blessed by having Jessica Cohen with me. And now we are doing it's the fifth book that we are doing together. And I think she. Already found uh, my voice in English yes. and her mm. voice the same. I think the translator has a crucial role in in conveying the story.
0: And it's been, uh,
1: of, a, a, of course, yeah. it is yeah. it, it is different from the original. We 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 all know it. The translations are different. It's um, another way of interpreting the story. And we all grew up on translations and we all learned about foreign and faraway realities, uh, that everything there was unknown to us, and yet by, by the magic or the spell of translation, we felt yes somewhat uh, at home in this translation.
0: I suppose it's too, it must be an advantage that, uh, Jessica, I believe you were born in, in, in England but grew up in Jerusalem, so the geography of uh, De- David Grossman's work is very much the geography that you must know very well.
2: It is, yeah, that's true. Um, I, I grew up mostly in Jerusalem. Yes. Yeah. Um, As did David, and, you know, I think for a lot of translators, uh, they translate from a language that they may have learned um, in adulthood and and are sort of bringing back to their home, whereas for me, I feel that um, there's something in my translation work that is bridging between my two homes or my two Mm. cultural identities, and I do... Feel very much, uh, you know. There's a lot of familiarity in the settings of, of many of the books that I translate, and, and it's. Um, I think that also partly leads to frustrations because I know these places and these people so well. I'm aware of the limitations in in how I'm able to portray them in English, um, but but you know that is the the goal
0: ultimately. And also, obviously, I mean, it's it's I I feel I feel very bad about having to ask you this, but it would be foolish not to. I mean, as as an Israeli um, as an Israeli writer and an Israeli artist and uh, an Israeli commentator, you have commentated on. on on the situation in your country um, how I know you've been asked this question by everyone but what what how do you as an israeli see the current situation with um um, the world, um, virtually um, hanging, kind of on, on the next whim of the, um, the 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 current U.S. president. I mean, and his his complete incompetence. And talking about um, the geography that uh, that uh, Jessica knows so well, the global geography of which Mr. Trump appears ignorant. I mean, how I mean, how do you, as an Israeli, um, feel about having someone like that in the White House? <laughs>
1: well. Uh, You know, people in Israel uh, regard uh, Mr. Trump as the great friend of uh, Israel. There was a huge enthusiasm and almost euphoria that accompanied his very short visit uh, to Israel. Uh, And it's always the question, what what do you mean by being, being a friend of Israel? Are you... Uh, willing to allow Israel to stick to its uh, megalomaniac hallucinations, to keep the occupation, to build more and more settlements. Is this a friend? I'm not sure. Uh, But because he's so unpredictable, you know, he can come up with all kinds of ideas. And uh, he might say that uh, in a very strict way, the settlements are an obstacle for future uh, peace between us and the Palestinians, and since he has no sentiment at all, uh, he might really turn against Netanyahu and the right wing in Israel, uh, and, and he has uh, the power to pressure Israel in a very dramatic way, and you see how the government in Israel is nervous because of his unpredictability. The situation, you asked about the situation, is, is really dangerous because there is an air of not only despair on both sides, but a kind of apathy of accepting the idea that we are doomed to live by the sword and to die by the sword. And I I find it Mm -hmm. almost uh, humiliating as a human being to think that there is no way out, that we are doomed to a certain situation. I think that almost in every human situation there is a way out. If you allow yourself to be imaginative and courageous enough and take some calculated risks, you might find a solution, or at least you can jar the, the basic premises of the situation and rearticulate the situation, uh, and, and, and by, by so doing, give some hope. And, and I think, you know, as a writer, the power of imagination of imagining another reality, and by so doing, you, as if you are throwing an anchor from the present towards the future. And you know where you want to go, you know where you want to pull yourself uh, towards uh, and, and by just the ability to imagine, you remind yourself that you you have inside you this bubble of liberty that maybe the, the the catastrophe can give you your surname, but you still have your private name, and your private name allows you not to obey these rules of. of apathy and fatalism that prevail now over the, the, the conflict.
0: But you feel that, I mean, there's, there is little um, comfort to be taken from having Trump... In control. I mean, it is very unpredictable, is the word, and it covers so many areas. But also the fact that his lack of knowledge is disturbing as well. And never mind his lack of sim- sentiment, as you've pointed out. I'd like to ask you about um, To the End of the Land. Uh, I mean, a novel, a very powerful personal uh, resonance with you. Um, the, the 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 novel which is about a mother going on this, this odyssey hoping that her son that she had felt had finished his med- his uh, military service but that when he decides to go on for another mission and um, she then takes off and it's almost like a Greek tragedy the way that she decides to keep on walking and you yourself are in the same tragic situation with the death of, of Yuri um, that book um, does this book comfort you or does it haunt you to the end of the land?
1: Ah, it's- a tough question. Uh, I feel I did the right thing mm. by by writing it. Mm. That's what I can say. Uh, you know, uh, I, I felt that uh, after Uri fell, that nothing was taken for granted anymore. Nothing, really. Uh, and the only solid thing in my life was, was the book that I was writing, To the End of the Land. And I, I felt that this was a home. Still, it was a home. And and then gradually, the, the, the sheer responsibility of the writer to the story, to the characters, the need to infuse life into the characters, to give them imagination and to give them... Uh, sexuality, to give them a sense of humor, uh, it forced me to, to find in myself those things that I maybe felt that they have vanished. Uh, so in a way, going back to writing this novel was a way of going back to life, to, to choose life. Against the other temptations of not choosing
0: life. I, I'm sorry to have to ask you such a such a question as that. Um, you know, in, it seems like in such an impersonal way. I mean, I'd rather have asked you the question face to face. Obviously, we're doing this down um, a line, you know. But um, this the power of it. I remember the uh, what, the time that time when I interviewed you when you were in the running in and out of the air raid shelter. Uh, Yuri was only five, and then so many years later, he's a man fighting for his country and loses his life and you at the graveside is a bereaved father rather than a famous writer. I, I'm sorry to say this to you, but I mean just the power of the emotion, I think um, your readers resonate with the fact that you're the consummate human. And I think that emotional intelligence you bring to your work adds to its genius. And uh, th- although this prize is given to one book um, I think in a way it's, um, in your case, yes, um, uh, 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 Hor- Horse Walks Into Bar, I think is a wonderful book, w- wonderful book. But I mean, th- so is your body of work. So, I mean, it's, it's almost like the readers have got a, a, double, a, double, a double prize here. The fact that it's uh, not only has a very fine novel been acknowledged and uh, the work of your translator, Jessica Cohen, but the body of work as well. So um, I congratulate you and, and Jessica, and I think this is a wonderful win. Thank, thank you for speaking thank, with us thank tonight. Thank you, Lynn.
1: Thank you. And I, I just want to say that whenever I read you, analyzing or writing about my books or talking about that, I feel that I was understood, and this is very uh, rare, never taken for granted uh, feeling, and, and a very sweet one. So really deeply thank you.
0: Thank you, thank you. And and a
1: very sweet one. So really deeply thank you.
0: Thank you, thank you.